This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. All right, we are continuing our series, Faith Supplements. Let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. And we have been looking at this portion of Scripture here in the book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter is written by the Apostle Peter, uh, who we know is one of the closest disciples to Jesus. Uh, kind of famous for a few different things. You know, he walked on water for a few seconds, but then he also denied Christ. Uh, got quite a broad range of experience that we have for Peter. But this is, at the end of Peter's life, he's writing to the church, and he's reminding us about some things that are very important. And some things specific to supplementing our faith. And you'll see that phrase in the scripture that we would read it. Now we all know, or we hopefully know, that sometimes we need to take some supplements. Maybe we are deficient in certain vitamins or minerals within our body. And we'll go to the doctor and maybe the doctor will say, well, you need to uh, take this or you need to take this because you're having a deficiency in a certain area. And this is what Peter is referencing as he is he talking about as relating to our faith. Um, that there are certain things that will supplement or shore up our faith for a very specific reason. So let's read it here in Second Peter chapter 1. Let's read it again, starting in verse 3. It says this, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So the knowledge that we have of Jesus gives us what we need for our lives, all things that pertain to life, that God wants to help us in our lives, that he wants us to have a relationship with him. Since he is, since he is the giver of life, he knows how life should go and how life should function and specific to you what he's created you for. So the scripture says there that in, in this relationship that we have with him, he's given us all things that we need for life. For this specific season you are in right now. God has what you need for your life, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. This is where we got the idea for this series that Peter says that we should supplement our faith. With virtue, and virtue, knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Now listen, he says, for if these qualities, the qualities that we just read about, are yours and are increasing... So these qualities that we just read about, that Peter is saying that these things should be increasing in our lives, not stagnant... Um, not stationary, not going nowhere, that we should actually be increasing in these qualities. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you can have a relationship with God and be ineffective and unfruitful. You can have a relationship with God and have your destiny set to be in God's presence for eternity, but live an ineffective life. An unfruitful life. But we know God wants us to live a fruitful life. He wants our lives, our days to matter. From this day to the day we go home to be with the Lord. 
that that life, that portion of time, however long each of us have left, that that time is important to God, should be important to us. We shouldn't be just thinking, well, I'm just waiting to go to heaven. No, we have one life to live. God wants us to be effective with this life. He wants us to be fruitful. He wants us to be producing with the gifts and talents that he's put on the inside of us. He doesn't want it to sit there doing nothing. He actually wants us to be producing. And Peter says, if we put these things into practice, we won't live an ineffective or unfruitful life. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted, verse 8, that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Now, we like that idea, right? We don't want to fall. We don't want to mess up. We don't want to get sidetracked in our life. And Peter says, if we do these things, adding to our faith, supplementing our faith, it will be effective and fruitful and we won't fall. And once again, reminding ourselves that these things are from a place of faith. Now, the first week in this series, we actually talked a little bit about a life of faith, what that looks like, what are the qualities in the scripture as it relates to faith. So reminding ourselves that it it is from this place of faith. We don't, this list of qualities that we're emphasizing in this series, we don't do all of these things. We don't do uh, virtue and brotherly affection and knowledge and self-control, which we're going to be talking about today. We don't do all of these things so that God will accept us. We do all these things because we are accepted. And because we have put our faith in Christ and we have received the gospel message from that place of love and acceptance and grace, we then obey. We don't obey and do all of these things. This is all what religion does. Do all of these things and you might be good enough. Do all of these things prescribed within the context of my religion and maybe God will accept you into heaven. No, the gospel says you are accepted and you are loved. Receive Jesus. And then from that place of love and acceptance of grace, that's when we choose to obey so that we can live an effective and fruitful life. It's very important to note that. And we're doing all of those things empowered by the Spirit of God. We're not on our own. We, when we say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and lives on the inside of us. So the Holy Spirit then is helping us to do these things. We're not left Um, to our own devices to try to figure it out. The Holy Spirit is leading us and guiding us with all of these qualities listed here in 2 Peter. So today we're going to be talking about self-control. Does everyone like the idea of (laughs) self-control? To be able to control yourself. Is it important for us to control ourselves? (laughs) <laughs> we're not sure why why would we bother why would we bother controlling ourselves why would we bother putting limits on ourselves in any respect aren't, aren't we free are we free canadians aren't we free in christ so we've got two levels of freedom because we're canadians our country says we're free and then we're free in christ Why do I have to control myself? Why do I have to put limits on myself in any respect? Because I am free. It's very important for us to be self-controlled. It's very important for us to be, uh, to have limits on ourselves. Now, those of you that have children 
or you've experienced children, you are aware of this fact that children, young children, have very little self-control. And so you as a parent, you are externally enforcing self-control on this child. Anybody out there? You don't just let your children do anything, do you? If you do, you should stop. They don't know enough yet. Well, we're just letting them express themselves. No, you're not letting them express themselves. You're training them. They don't know enough yet to express anything yet. All they have is what I want and I want it now. I'm not interested in sharing. I want what I want now. I don't want to go to sleep now. They don't have enough knowledge. They don't have enough understanding. So we enforce control on them. Why? Because they don't have enough knowledge to be self-controlled. And so we live our lives, you know, functioning under the control of our parents. Um, uh, when we used to go on road trips as a family, my sister and I would sit in the back seat. And depending on how long this trip would be, being the younger child, you know, you, you kind of want to just poke at your sister or do something to bother her because it's boring in the back seat. There's nothing to do. This is pre-iPads, pre-TVs in the car, no cell phones. We're just sitting back there listening to your parents' music. And no one wants to do that for very long. And so you're back there with your sister. And then... Uh, did anybody get spanked growing up? We survived, right? And um, so we were, I grew up, you know, there was always the threat of spanking in our, and sometimes my dad would spank while he's driving. <laughs> he's reaching back. Sometimes his aim wasn't good and we're like, you know, dodging the spanking. And then it, if it got really bad, you know, the threat and I'm going to pull over the car. And if, you, if the car gets pulled over, you know for sure his aim is going to be good. <laughs> so we knew for certain we didn't want him to pull over the car. So he threatened us at one point. If you guys don't stop it back there, I'm going to pull over the car. So as my dad tells the stories, we go a little bit further down the road. And he said it went from uh, riotous action in the back to all of a sudden it was very quiet. But then he said he heard a little bit of stirring back there, but there was no noise. Nobody was yelling because nobody wanted him to pull over the car. And he looked back and my sister was sitting on my head and my arms were flailing, but I wasn't going to yell because I didn't want him to pull over the car. So what were... My parents, and what do good parents do? They control the behavior of your children. Why? Because you're training them. There's certain ways of behavior that are good and certain ways of behaving that are profitable and certain ways of behaving that will help you to be successful in life. And so we're training ourselves and we're training our children as it relates to this respect. But then, see, we get a little bit older and we are outside of the control of our parents and maybe you go away to school. Or maybe you finally move out and you get a roommate. Or maybe you finally move out and you get married. And your parents aren't there to tell you to go to bed. So what do you do? You'd be like, I'm staying up. There's nobody telling me what to do anymore. There's nobody controlling me anymore. So I'm going to stay up and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And I'm going to do all of the things that my parents said I couldn't do. And then after a little while, and it might be a little bit longer for some than others, you're kind of like, I'm tired. 
I'm actually going to go to bed. It's actually a good idea to go to bed early so that I can go to work the next day and not be super tired. And see, sometimes this is what we think about as it relates to uh, sort of when we think about the phrase self-control. It's kind of all of these external things. It's kind of my parents telling me what to do and my boss telling me what to do and my spouse telling me what to do and then the government telling me what to do and the street signs telling me what to do. And we kind of, all of this control that comes down upon us, but the scripture is saying, and then the Holy Spirit is going to help us to have self-control that we would actually have the ability from the inside of us not just having controls put on us. The fruit of the Spirit talks about one of those things is self-control. That the Holy Spirit of God from the inside of us is helping us to control ourselves. Not having behavior uh, modification put on top of us. But something from the inside. See, because this is where God is. This is where uh, our relationship with God springs from. It springs from the inside of us. And the Holy Spirit is helping us to have self-control. Now, the Pharisees, the doctors of the law, who were uh, contemporaries of Jesus that Jesus was always fighting with. See, they were always trying to enforce Old Testament laws on people. All of their external behavior, do this. And if you don't do this, we're going to make you feel bad. We're going to shame you. We're going to shame you as a society. We're going to shame you as a religion. We're going to make you feel bad about yourself. So next time, you won't do something because of all of these external things. And this is is what Jesus says to the Pharisees, Matthew 23, verse 25. It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. So on the outside, they looked like something. But Jesus is saying on the inside, you're full of greed and you're full of self-indulgence. And this is what I would say about my experience growing up in church. See, we come to church on Sunday and we put on our Sunday best or supposedly or whatever. And we dress up for each other. And we come and we pretend that our children are perfectly behaved because we threaten them before they get to church. We don't want anyone in the church to think that we aren't perfect. So I just want to let you know, if you misbehave today, when you get in the car after church, you're going to get it. We have all of these behaviors enforced on us and all of these different things enforced on us for religious reasons. All of this external stuff. But faith in God is not about a bunch of externals being enforced on you. Faith in God is about a heart situation. Jesus is saying to the religious people, you look really great on the outside. But on the inside, there's no connection with God. You're just greedy and you're self-indulgent on the inside. So as it relates to self-control, as it um, with our relationship with God, it's not about someone else enforcing rules and regulations upon you. It is about the Holy Spirit of God on the inside of you, leading and guiding you, helping you to control yourself for a purpose and for a reason. You have 
a purpose and a reason for existing. And God has something for you to do. You are a carrier of the kingdom. And so what you do with your life is important. If we had no purpose, self-control wouldn't matter. If there was no purpose to our lives, why would we limit our behavior in any way, shape, form, or fashion? If we didn't have a purpose, it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter what we did because there's no reason to live. But God has a purpose for all of us. And the main purpose for all of us is that we are carriers of the kingdom of God, that God has a purpose for you right now in this specific season of life. So he wants you to control yourself so that you can be effective because your days, all of your days are important. There's great things that can happen every day. If we control ourselves and we let the Holy Spirit of God help us to control ourselves. So what did he say about the Pharisees that on the inside, they were just self-indulgent. That everything was about them and what they wanted and their desires and their actions and just all about me and how I feel and what I want to do right now. That we would put a lid on some of those things. Let me just take a moment here. To talk about anybody or anyone who struggles with anger. Now, I'm going to put my hand up. I'm not asking for anyone else to testify this morning. But I've struggled with anger at different times in my life. And if you struggle with anger, um, you, can, you can just blow up real quick. And you can go from zero to ten based on what people do. And then you justify it because someone did this and I didn't like it. And so I just got to let it out. But when we, when we don't control our anger, what happens with the people around us? They, they have to live in fear, don't they? If you're, if you're not going to control your anger, all, all your friends and your coworkers and your family members are just going to be afraid. Why? Because you can't control yourself. Is that what you want to be blowing up all of the time? When I was younger, it was very easy for me to blow up. And then because maybe I'm a good talker, I could intimidate someone or I could make someone else feel upset because I was just angry and I'm just going to go and I'm going to keep talking until you feel the full brunt of my anger. But how many know it's important for us to get control of our anger even when we feel it? So this is what we're going to say, that we don't just always give in to our feelings and our desires. Because if we let all of our, if we let our feelings and our desires be the Lord of our lives, we would never control them. We would just let them all go. And what happens when we let them all go? Can you remember? Do you know? Have you seen someone else that's just let their emotions rule their life? No, God is telling us he wants us to be self-controlled. Self-controlled, this definition of self-controlled, it means physical and emotional self-mastery, particularly in situations of intense provocation or temptation. Now, I mentioned for me, you know, this would be something specifically, you know, in my, I don't struggle with it as much as I used to. Sometimes it comes up for different reasons, and I won't tell you what those reasons are. But it talks about provocation and temptation. 
what are the areas for you? You're like, I never get angry. No big deal, Pastor Brent. You got problems. I don't. Okay. All of us have different things that are specific to us that provoke us and tempt us. And sometimes they're not even bad things. Sometimes they're good things, but we just take them too far. Sex is a good thing. God has given us sex as a wonderful gift within the context of a marriage between a man and a woman. But what if we make our whole lives about sex and we don't control ourselves? What could we do? We could destroy our lives. Food. God has given us the wonderful gift of food with so many different wonderful tastes and so many different nationalities that cook food in so many wonderful different ways. And that's a gift to us. But what if we make our whole life about food? And we don't control ourselves. Specific to us, physical and emotional. What are the areas that we are tempted and we're provoked? What does God want us to do? What is the Holy Spirit helping us to do? Control ourselves. So let's just all think for a moment. This is not testimony time. You don't, I'm not going to get the mic and say, what are the areas? Let's let's be honest with ourselves. What are the areas that provoke us and tempt us? Because if we we don't master those things, they'll master us. Can you think of a season in your life when you didn't master it, that it mastered you? That it just ended up taking over your life? No, God doesn't want to have anything in charge of our lives except him. Because every day he's got kingdom business for us to do. He's got something for us to do. And if that thing, whatever it may be, is in charge of our life, that's whose bidding we are doing. We're not yielding ourselves anymore to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This is what the Apostle Paul says. Verse 24, he says, Do you not know that in a race that all runners run... But only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. So they do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But this is what Paul says about himself. He says, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So he talks about runners who run a race. And when they won the race, they would get a wreath. You know, we think about gold and silver and bronze medals. But when they they won the race back then, they would get a wreath. And it's like, that wreath is just going to go away. But the illustration is someone who's a runner, someone who's going to run a race, what do they do? They exercise self-control. Now, when we think about athletes, professional athletes or Olympic athletes, do these people control their bodies? Don't they? Don't we ever watch, if we ever watch sport, you know, they're up early and they're exercising and they have a very specific diet and they're doing this and they're training this and they're going to the weight room and they're going to the gym and they're doing all of these things. Why? Because they have a purpose. They have a reason. And what Paul is saying is that all of us have a reason. We have something that's imperishable. It's great to win a race, but that wreath is just going to go away. We are running the race of life. And the race of life that we're running is very important. And Paul says, I'm going to control myself, he says here at the end. 
I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So all of us, whether we're preachers, whether we're on a stage, whether we're sitting in a chair, all of us, we have to decide to exercise self-control. To put a limit on some of these actions and behaviors, some of these desires that we have, because they will take us to certain places. The question is, so what, what do I do with my freedom? I have all these freedoms. We said, I'm free in Christ. I'm free in Canada. What am I doing with my freedom? Isn't an athlete free? Aren't they free to do the same things? But why do they excel in certain areas that we don't? Because they've limited their freedom in certain areas so that they can focus on what's important. The same is true for followers of Jesus. We're going to limit our freedom in certain areas so that we can focus on what is important to us. Godly freedom adopts the proper restraints as it relates to my purpose. I'm going to say that again. Godly freedom adopts the proper restraints as it relates to my purpose. So what is your purpose? What what are some of the things that you are? If you're a dad, if you're a husband, if you're a wife, if you're a mom, we know that all of the all of those things are purpose related and they are actually purposes given by God. And so we're going to put restraints on our life so that we can do those things well. All of those things take time, don't they? Your job takes time. Your family takes time. Are you with me this morning? All those things take time, don't they? And so we're free. We're free in Christ. We're free as Canadians. But then we're going to limit our freedom so that we can run the race well. And I don't need to tell you what all of those things are. You know, we all know that we have time wasters, that, that we waste time on certain things, that we waste effort on certain things, where we could be putting that time and effort into the purposes that God has given me. And this is why God wants me to exercise self-control so that I won't live an ineffective, unfruitful life. Listen, wisdom limits choices as not to destroy purpose. Wisdom limits your choices so you won't destroy your purpose. You have a purpose. You have a reason. So we control our choices so that we can be effective with that purpose. So are we going to be obedient just to our flesh, just to our desires, just to our feelings? Or are we going to be obedient to the Spirit of God? Now, these things come from a couple different places in our lives. They come from our thoughts. We just talked a little bit about our actions. That our thought life is so important as what it relates to all of this. How we think about what we do. Because if the Holy Spirit is trying to help us to be self-controlled, what we think about, how many of your, your thoughts lead you somewhere? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I, I'm going to give you an example, but this really relates to anything. Does, does anyone like to shop out there once in a while? All of us, we're Canadian. There's malls. There's malls, and now there's Amazon, and now like everything is online. And if We don't even have to wait anymore. To go to the mall, we can like order it and it's at our door tomorrow. (laughs) 
Have you ever looked at something and you looked at it the first time and you're like, man, I really like that, but I don't need it. Shut in the computer. And then the next day you're like, maybe I saved that link on my computer. I'm going to go back. And I look at it again and then you look at the full 360 picture. You're like, it's beautiful, but I don't need that. And then you go to work and you're sitting in your desk and you start thinking about it. I really need that thing. And you're thinking about it and you're thinking about it. And then you're, you're, you're changing your budget in your head. We don't need to eat two weeks with the family. There's, there's got to be enough groceries for two weeks. Our, our, there's, so many, there's so much food in the pantry right now. This is going to cost two weeks worth of groceries, but we can survive for two weeks, can't we? And we're having this conversation with ourselves. And so what do we need to do in the middle of those conversations? We need to say to ourselves, no. Now that example applies to everything. Because our thoughts will take us somewhere. And sometimes our thoughts, if we don't bridle them, if we don't put them down, it's just going to take us somewhere that we don't actually want to go to something that we actually shouldn't do. Because why? It's going to defy my purpose. I have a purpose as a husband and a father, as a pastor, and as a Canadian, and as a follower of Jesus. And so I'm not going to do that. Why? Because it would defy my purpose. God has something for me to do. God has something for you to do. So when we're having those conversations with ourselves, let's invite the Holy Spirit into the conversation. Not just my flesh and what I want and how, how soon can I get it. And see, sometimes those things, it's not, sometimes it's not bad for us to have those, that thing. It just might not be right now. And so let's invite the Holy Spirit into that conversation. So our thoughts... Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of all peace will be with you. Listen, that's your mind. You choose what you think about. Well, no, no, I just, can't, I just can't control my thoughts. No, you can. You can do it. It's a, it's a lie to think that you can't control your thoughts. We've decided to think about certain things, and then we can decide to think, think about other things. And then if that thing comes back to your mind that you don't want to think about it, that you shouldn't think about, don't think about it. Think about something else. Because it... Paul is saying here that we actually can choose what we think about. And then it ended up talking about, and the God of peace. See, when we're, when we're struggling with our thoughts, how many know it's tormenting? Thoughts can torment us. They can just keep coming, and they can keep coming, and they can keep coming. But Paul is saying, hey, here's some things to think about. Make a choice about what you're thinking about. If the thing that you're thinking about doesn't serve your life's life's purpose as it relates to God, stop thinking about it. Think about something else. Make a choice. You made that first choice to think about the thing. Whatever that thing is or whatever that person is, 
Think about something else. And then we see that there's peace in that. Not just letting your thoughts run wild, that we would actually, with the help of the Holy Spirit, that we'd be controlling our thoughts because we know that our thoughts move us to decisions. Our thoughts move us to actions. We want those actions to align with our purpose. This is why God wants us to be self-controlled. And then one more thing we're going to be talking about today as it relates to self-control. Let's talk about our mouths. What we say. Does anyone's mouth ever get them in trouble? Come on now, I know you're wearing your Sunday best and all. And I know you're looking good for everybody. Does anyone's mouth ever get them in trouble. Now let's have full participation today. (laughs) Our mouths can get us into so much trouble, so much trouble. And we, once again, we, this is something we already know. This is not, this is not new news to us. And God wants us to use our mouths wisely. Listen, you can help your relationships flourish with the words you say. You can help your life flourish with the words that you say. Or you can destroy your relationships and you can destroy your own life with the words that you say. So important what we say. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 4 says, A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks The spirit, a tree of life can come from your words, from what you say, what the intentions are in your words. Now, see, here's the reality. If we don't think we have to control the words, I just got to say it. I just got to speak the truth. I'm just one of those people, you know, just telling it like it is. Great. You're not going to have any friends. You're not going to have anybody who wants to hang around you. If you don't put a watch on your tongue, you don't put a watch on what you're saying. Because the scripture is telling us here, a gentle tongue is a tree of life. And, and, And back to the anger example, we can get very eloquent when we're angry. Our language can become very sophisticated and very sharp when we're angry. But a gentle tongue is a is what is it? It's a tree of life. And this is where we, this is where all of us, all of us have to discipline ourselves in this area. Because we're going to feel something, we're going to want something, we're going to be angry about something. And then we have to take it all down a notch. You have to train yourself. You got to train yourself to take it down a notch. So you can speak words that give life. Proverbs 16, 23 says, the heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Gracious words, grace-filled words, not angry words, not frustrated words, not hateful words, not nasty words. Now, I know that you could think of somebody else who has nasty, mean words. Don't worry about them right now. 
Let's think about ourselves. Do we speak gracious words? Life-giving words, words that are sweet for other people to hear, words that give life. And what are they? They're, they're, they're like honeycomb. In other words, like they're sweet to the taste. And then they're sweetness to the soul and health to the body. See, sometimes the words that we say, they're destroying our relationships and then they're just destroying us. See, you know... We, just think, you know, we, we obviously know this, we can, we can destroy relationships, but sometimes people can just destroy themselves with two simple words. I can't. I can't this, I can't that, can't do this, I don't know how to do that, I don't know about this. And then they just throw a blanket on their whole life. I can't, I can't, I can't. And that you're just destroying your own life. We don't want to destroy our own life, and we certainly won't, don't want to destroy the life of our loved ones and our friends. Listen, a fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. I mean, that's just as true as true can be. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. See, we can set traps for ourselves with the words that we say. God wants us to speak sweet, life-giving, gracious words. Proverbs 13, 3. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. We don't want to ruin our lives, do we? No one will say yes to that. But So what do we have to do? We have to... Guard our mouth. In other words, we've got to control what we say. And, if, and, and this will be harder for you if, you are, if you're good. If you're the one in the relationships who's good with language, this is harder for you. But you still got to do it. Why? Because we, we, we don't want to destroy other people. We don't want to destroy ourselves. The words that we say change our lives. James chapter 3. James chapter 3. Verse 2 says this, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. So in other words, nobody qualifies. Able also to bridle his whole body, his whole life. What we say directs our lives. What we say affects our relationships for better or for worse. That sounds like marriage, doesn't it? Does anybody know that's true in your marriage? Any married people in the house? Know that your words make a difference in your marriage. Yeah, no, no, no. If, if I could just get my spouse to change what they do, our marriage would be better. If you could change your words, you could change your marriage for the better. See, there's so many people just throwing acid on their relationships with negative words. But what does the scripture tell us here? That if we can bridle our tongue, we can bridle our whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. 
Though they are so large, they are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder. Relative to your body, your tongue is a very small piece of your body, but it guides your whole body, the scripture is telling us. They are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Hmm. Wherever the will of the pilot directs. Who is the pilot of your life? You are. You are the pilot of your life. And what we want to do and what we should do and what, how we should control ourselves so that we can experience these good things is that we would align our words that we say with the word of God. Because those are the things that we want to experience in our lives. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Can anyone remember a forest fire, a metaphorical one, in your life set by your tongue? And it blazed on and it blazed on for a while because of what you said. And you're like, you know what, I really should learn from that. Verse 11, does a spring pour forth from the same opening fresh and salt water? See, here, here's all of these analogies. We want fresh water in our lives. We don't want bitter salt water. Where, where does it come from? It comes from our tongue. It comes from the words that we say. Last thing, Titus 2 verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So many great things here in these verses. What is the first thing it says? For the grace of God has appeared. And at the beginning of verse 12 says, training us. The grace of God shows up and we can experience the grace of God. And then by that same grace that saves us, he trains us to live. The wonderful gift that we have from God that the Holy Spirit is in our lives. And what do we want the Holy Spirit to do? We want the Holy Spirit to train us how to live so that we can live effective, fruitful lives. What does the last thing say here? Zealous for good works. Looking to do good and looking to say good. Think good, do good, and say good. See, God wants us to control ourselves so that we can experience that in our lives. Not letting our desires be the Lord of our life, but actually letting God be the Lord of our lives. Affecting our thoughts and our actions and our words. Let's just pray this morning. God, we thank you today for your word. 
We thank you, Lord, for your help. As we talk about all these things, Lord, sometimes it can, it can feel like a lot that we have to do and a lot that we have to change. But God, we know that your spirit is helping us, that you aren't condemning us today, Lord, that you love us and you care about us and you love and care about us so much that you don't want us to stay the same. And you don't want us to keep making the same mistakes that destroy us. So God, we pray that you forgive us and we also pray that you help us, that you lead us and guide us this week. That we can put a watch on what we think about, that we can put a watch on our actions and we can put a watch on our tongue with your help. We thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.